Um, my, um, my day job, I'm a science teacher uh, during, during the day, and I teach eighth grade science. And, and uh, actually, I'm already in school, and, and I mean, I'm in my third week, you know. And so um, summer's gone. It's past. When you guys were out camping in Mammoth, I was learning the names of 206 eighth graders. So my brain is full, but I'm getting there. It's, it's been a blast. And, you know, as a science teacher, I'm always looking for stuff. I'm always looking for things that I can use in my classroom. Um, you know, I'll, I'll pick up, you know, pine cones. I'll grab, you know, if you've got a big hunk of mushroom, I go and cut that up and take it in my class. And they like to see the kind of stuff because San Bernardino kids sometimes, you know, they don't get up the hill and, and there's lots of things that they've never experienced. So I'm always looking for things um, to, uh, to share with. And um, so a lot of the times um, organization could be a, a vital aspect in my life because I have so much stuff, right? And so um, I've become pretty much professional at organizing my room, my classroom, and, and, and that just kind of comes with the job. But I'm always looking for uh, ways of storing stuff. And so it, 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 it blew me away. Do you know that there's a store just for s- containers? It's called the container store. Yeah. Who knew? You go in there, there's boxes, bowls, jars, baskets, every shape, size, anything you can think of. You can find something there to put your stuff in wherever you need to to put it. And so I thought it was interesting as I'm reading through my devotions that um, God uses containers. God stores stuff. We're going to talk about that. Um, In Malachi 3, when the prophet he was chastising his people. He says, you know, you guys, are, you guys are blowing it. You guys, you have a lukewarm relationship with God. And they were saying, you know what? It's a wasted time to serve the Lord. And, uh, you know, it, it's just not worth the hassle. But in the meantime, there are people, the other people, those that feared the Lord. They said otherwise. And you know what? It's interesting because God was listening and God was taking notes. It's kind of cool when you think about it. According to the scriptures, God uses containers too. If you turn your Bibles to Malachi 3, 13 through 16. Malachi 3, 13 through 16. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to be uh, more like your son Jesus. Uh, we pray a special blessing on the Gill family as they're enjoying their vacation time, God. They're just amazing, incredible servants, and we lift them to you. We pray that they would be refreshed and re-energized and rejuvenated. Also, let them know how much we love them. Father, we just thank you. We lift this evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Malachi three thirteen through 16, it reads... Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed and those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Basically, they're saying, man, it is just a a waste of time to serve the Lord. And it seemed that the bad guys were better off than the good guys. It just didn't seem fair. But let's read on. In verse 16 it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. 
So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. So in the second part, we read that those people who feared the Lord, when they spoke to one another, he listened. He heard them. God heard their conversations. You know, it shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise us at all. We know that truly we're accountable for everything that comes out of our mouth. Everything that we say, we're accountable for. But we also read that the Lord recorded them in a book of remembrance. Isn't that wild? A book of remembrance. According to our text, whenever people spoke about the Lord, he listens or hearkens. Uh, the Hebrew word hearken is the same word that describes the ears of a dog when he hears the voice of his master. We've got a hundred pounds of yellow lab, uh, sloppy, shedding, loving Spencer. And uh, he can be in a dead sleep. You know, he can snore louder than anything and he can go into a nap in two seconds. But if he hears his dog food bag wrinkle, what does he do? He's up and running. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And so... In other words, when the the Lord hears his name being talked about, he hears, he tunes in, he listens, and he's taking notes. I don't think that God writes it down so he doesn't forget. Okay, I don't think that's the issue. I believe that he doesn't forget anything he desires to remember, and he doesn't remember anything that he desires to forget. Let's chew on that a little bit. He doesn't forget anything he desires to remember, and doesn't remember anything he desires to forget. Our God loves us, right? And so that, that's, his, that's his heart. So why would God keep a book of remembrance? You know, um, I think it may be the same reason that we keep scrapbooks, that we keep photo albums. You know, I don't keep pictures of Julie so that I remember what she looks like. All right? that's, not, that's not the reason. It's, it's, so much, it's not so much that we won't forget. It's so that we can enjoy certain moments together. And so there's so many things in our lives that we want to relive them over and over and over. Years ago, Julie started scrapbooking. Anybody do creative memories? Michelle, yes. Okay. And, uh, and so every year she would make a book for the year. So she would collect pictures and stuff, pictures and stuff. And she'd put it all in this really cool book. And uh, every year, every year she'd make one. And so after a while, you know, there's a nice pile. 170 pounds worth of, of books, okay, just about. I know because I move them every fire season, right? Out of the house, down the hill, okay. So, but whenever the girls come home now, they love to pull those out and just relive through the year. Oh, let's look at 1992. Wow, look how cute I was. Wait, you know? And so they relive those years. Nowadays, they do it digitally. You know, they do it as Instagram or Facebook or some other media form. And, and, but it's so cool that people can enjoy a record of their lives and share it with family and friends and anybody who wants to or doesn't want to see it. Um, you know, you share things, all kinds of things. And, and then there's some things that they share that you really don't want to know. But that's a whole other study. So anyway, but I suggest that our Heavenly Father is compiling this huge scrapbook of all the times that we spoke about him, of all the times that we shared about him. And when we get to heaven, he's going to invite us to jump up in his lap. I can't wait to jump up into God's lap. Okay? We have this big lazy boy chair. It's about this wide, and we call it the lap of God. Right? And uh, I cannot wait to jump up into his lap 
And, you know, he's going to just kind of leaf through these. And we're going to be just amazed that he would care enough to record each and every conversation, every time we spoke about him, every witness we gave about him. He's going to say, wow, I was so proud of you. I so, this was so cool. You know, sometimes Julie would collect special things other than just pictures. And uh, she'd put them in the creative memory scrapbooks, like a, you know, a ticket stub or a brochure or a program that came from where we were at. And in Psalm 56, we find that there's another special component of God's book of remembrance. In Psalm 56, 8 through 11, the story goes that David had been called and anointed to be the next king of Israel. And so, as you know, how the story goes is that Saul, who was the present king, he was out to destroy him. He didn't want him to, uh, to, to take over the kingdom at all. So David fled from the presence of Saul and he went out to the wilderness. And eventually he found himself in the Philistine city of Gath. Okay? And uh, these, were not, these were not friendly people. And when the men of Gath saw David, they closed the gates behind him. And they said, wait, isn't that David? Isn't that the David who killed thousands, right? And so all of a sudden, David, in an enclosed city, he says, man, I'm in trouble. So what does he do? He feigned like he's crazy. He starts foaming at the mouth and screaming and yelling. And so, you know, the king of the Philistines says, well, we don't want this crazy man on our hands. So what does he do? He kicks him out, right? And so it's at that time that David wrote this Psalm 56, 8 through 11. He says, You number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So evidently, God's book of remembrance also contains a bottle of tears. Now, David apparently not only had his own bottle of tears, but he also believed that God was somehow storing up his own personal tears in his heavenly bottle. In, in biblical times, people actually collected their tears. They put them in little tear bar- bottles or what they called tear catchers. And tears were a precious possession. I mean, they meant so much because they spoke of times of deep joy and terrible tragedy, all the things that were going on in these people's lives. And they would collect these their, their tears in these bottles. And so, you know, some bottles were just made of, of, of glass and some made of alabaster, some were porcelain. And so they would carry these bottles around and, and, and these, these, these tears were so precious to them. In fact, they would carry them and, and when, they, when, they were, when they were buried, they would be buried with them. And so, you know, I've learned that some women can fill up their tear bottle a little faster than others. And at the end, you know, especially in our, we, we watch NBC and Brian Williams at the, at the end of every one of his segments, not, not every one, most of every segments, he always has this really cool story. And poor Jules, she can barely get through it. And and, and but it works every time. And, you know, any time a soldier surprises his wife, you know, coming back from, from uh, overseas, man, it just gets us. Julie tells me that for her, crying is like sweating. You hear that? Crying's like sweating. It just happens. And it took me 28 years of marriage to understand the strange female phenomenon. So I wanted to share you with, uh, with, with gentlemen. But that's, that's, that's kind of what happens. Um, we still have tear bottles here in the sanctuary. Do you know that? We keep them in these boxes on the floor. Okay? We call them Kleenex now. All right? But um, 
you know, the whole background about tear bottles kind of helps me have a better understanding of what the woman, the woman did in, in, um, in Luke 7 for Jesus. We sang about it. It says, remember the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and then dried him with her hair? Okay. Um, this has been a head scratcher for me for a while. It's like, really, you know, can, you know, can you cry enough tears to actually wash some feet? But if you think about it, if, um, if, if she had, you know, her bottle of tears, she, she could use that. So, you know, she's there with Jesus in, in Simon the Pharisee's house, and she noticed the, just the very discourteous way that, uh, that Jesus was getting treated. And, and he hadn't provided any water for the Lord's feet and no oil to anoint his head. And so this poor sinful woman, what did she do? She possibly took a tear bottle and, uh, you know, poured it over his, his dusty feet and wiped him with her long hair. And this was a huge sacrifice for her. I mean, back then, you know, that collection of tears was huge. And this was done in love and gratitude for her Savior. And it's kind of interesting because Simon thinks, he says, if you knew what kind of woman this is, you wouldn't allow her to do this. And Jesus, knowing what he was thinking, says, don't you know that the one who is forgiven much loves much? In other words, Jesus is saying that what she's done is precious. What she's done is amazing. This act of pouring out her tears is actually like pouring her heart out as, a, uh, as an act of worship to Jesus. You can read all about that in Luke 7, 42 through 47. But it truly makes, makes great sense to me. So just know that all the things that we've been crying over, the events that we're concerned about, our difficulties, our burdens, the things that cause our heart to break, Know this, that the Lord's been collecting our tears. He knows. He recognizes. But also know that the amazingly good things that happen in our lives, the things that make us cry just for joy, the things that uh, take our breath away, the things that we're so grateful for, he collects those tears too. Okay, Those are important. You know, he might not answer all of our questions now, and he might not explain why he's allowing difficulties or trials or tragedies but he knows that the day is coming when he's going to wipe away every tear. And we can read all about that in Revelation 21.4. You know, I sometimes wonder, it must be hard for the Lord to keep quiet. You know, I'm, I'm sure so badly he wants to explain why is he doing these things. But he remains silent because he knows that it's necessary for us to go through seasons of weeping. It's good. We might not think so, but he knows best. Psalm 84, 5 through 6, he says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. The word Baca means weeping. And so the psalmist is saying that blessed is the man who goes through this valley of weeping and makes it a spring for others to be refreshed. Okay? Paul kind of talks about the same thing in Corinthians uh, 1, 3 through 4, says, Blessed be the God of our Father of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, excuse me, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So in both of these passages, it's like the Lord says, you know what, I'm going to allow you to go through these hurts and difficulties. I'm going to store your tears in a bottle. I'm going to care deeply for you and wipe them away eventually. But presently, they're going to be valuable for you to relate with somebody else who's feeling the same way that you are, 
who's dealing with the same things that you're dealing with. You're going to be able to share wisdom with them. You're going to be able to be a comfort them. You're going to be able to be empathetic because you've been there. You know how it feels. So on one hand, you're like, ouch. But on the other hand, okay, I see. Another container that God uses to collect things is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5, verse 8. It reads, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Revelation 8.3 reads, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So our prayers, the prayers of the saints, are evidently stored in golden bowls. How cool is that? I kind of see it like those bowls get filled up. Okay, We pray, pray, pray. We fill them up. A couple things happen. It could overflow or it could just tip. And when it overflows, when it tips, that's when we, when we see things starting to happen. That's, that's when we see answered prayer. I've got to tell you, this last week and a half has been quite a doozy for us. Um, many of you had heard that I was in an accident a week from Sunday, a week past, a week and a half ago. And uh, I was just on, on the highway heading over to the elementary school. I was in my little Subaru, had my bike on the back. I was going to go pick up Dan. We were going to go for a bike ride. And I was on about the third curve, and mine went left. And there's a Dodge Ram pickup coming this way, and he forgot to turn. And he just slammed right into me. He's going 35-40, and he just broadsided me. He pushed me through my lane, and then into, there's a pull out there. Thank you, Jesus. There was a pull out there because it continued to push me another 40 feet and deposited me up on the dirt berm, teetering on the canyon. So it's like, wow, that's amazing. And so, uh, you know, after the impact, and I never got to react to anything. So I'm driving right along, and all of a sudden, there's this big white truck right here. It's four feet away from me. Wham! And then he pushed, and then everything stopped. And... I'm all, hey, I think I'm all right, right? And so I said, hey, could you open this door? All of a sudden, all these people all around, they're looking through the windshield. It's all cracked, but they're trying to find, hey, are you okay? How many people in there? I said, it's just me, and I think I'm okay. So they, they tried to open the, the driver's door. Not so much. They said, I said, could you open the passenger door? I didn't realize that I was over the canyon. They said, oh, no, don't go that way. <laughs> okay. So I said, all right, how about this? And so they finally got my passenger door open behind me. And so I kind of flipped back and got out. And I was kind of woozy. And, and uh, you know, I was a little crooked, but I walked away. And uh, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. If you've ever seen those Subaru, they lived commercials. Okay. I was going to send them mine because that's what it looks like. It was wild. And, uh, but you know what? God uses these things. And, and I don't know. I, I mean, I'll, I have lots of questions for him when I, when I see him. But, you know, it, at least it wasn't, you know, last Sunday. Okay? And so uh, I just, I thank God for his protection during the collision. It's amazing the way things just happen. Um, I thank God for Randy and Steve, the guys who were playing ball. They heard the crash 
and called 911 even before they knew what had happened. Um, they said it sounded like an explosion. And so it's like, wow, that's amazing. And then literally before I got out of the car, CHP, fire, ambulance, everybody was there. And then Rhonda was there. And I thank God for Rhonda. She insisted that we pray right on the side of the road. And the CHP was trying to interview. She's all, back off. We're going to finish praying. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Um, I thank God for our local fire personnel. And they literally picked up my toys because my bike bag was around. My bike was all over. And so they picked it all up and then they deposited it at my house. How cool is that? Talk about local serps. Um, I thank God for the emergency room in the mountains. You know, we get there. How often do you go to the emergency room and there's no wait? Okay, that, that doesn't happen. And so they, they got me in, they cleaned me up, and they gave me some Motrin. Ah, much better. You know, and, and so looking back, it's like, wow, you know, at the end of this crash, I should have been really hurt. And, 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 and I told, you know, it's like I was as good as I could be for as bad as it was. And so it was, it was really kind of cool. But then it got worse, okay? And so um, the days after the accident, you know, things just started becoming increasingly painful. I was, you know, obviously grateful to be alive, but still kind of hurting at the same time. And, and by Wednesday night, I was wondering, you know, maybe I should go back to the hospital because it was feeling just gnarly. I hadn't slept in three days. Nothing could get comfortable, you know, when your back is all tweaked and, and the seatbelt bruised. And, and so, once again, I, w- I was doing fine for as bad as it could have been. But uh, by Wednesday night, I just, you know, was really hurt. And I really wanted to come to Wednesday night because it's like, oh, I so badly want to be prayed for. And I would just, I just want to worship. I want to thank God for his protection. And uh, so... Um, I, I got to say, you know, last Wednesday night, thank you to those saints um, who prayed for me because Jeff shared, hey, Dave got in a crash, uh, please keep him in prayer. And, and so thank you because, um, first of all, right around 9 o'clock, I was able to fall asleep. First time in three days that I really got a, some sleep. I slept all the way to 2 o'clock, and then 2 in the morning I woke up, and I was like, whoa, what a difference. Night and day, I can stand up straight. My head wasn't reeling. Wow, everything worked. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And so I thank you. I thank you for your prayers that went into my bowl and tipped over. That's kind of the way I see it. You know what? When God prompts you to pray, when God says, you know, brings to mind somebody or something, don't ignore it. A friend of ours, um, she was down at Target shopping and um, all of a sudden she thought it was weird that my little face came to mind and uh, she didn't think anything of it pushing a little cart around getting her shopping done and then moments later she gets a text from a friend of ours that said man pray for Dave he was just in a car accident and so all she was like like wow it's like God prompted her why would Dave show up in my brain but that's what God does he goes you know what we kind of need some prayer support right now and so when, when, when he throws that at you, when he prompts that prayer, don't ignore it. You could be the prayer tipper. Okay? That's, that's what you could be. So um, don't hesitate. Do you ever wonder why sometimes prayers are answered immediately and sometimes you have to continue to pray over and over and over about a bazillion times? Okay? Um, in our experience, God is never late, but rarely early. You ever notice that? It's always perfect timing. I think that some bulls need only a single prayer to tip, and then others need a bunch. And we kind of read about that in Scripture. 
Um, I think of Elijah on Mount Carmel. In 1 Kings 18, we read about the prophets of Baal, Baal and they were confronted by Elijah. They were going to have a pray-off, right? They're going to say, okay, I bet you my God's stronger than your God, and we're going to do this and this. And so the prophets of Baal, they prayed from morning to evening. They danced. They thrashed their bodies, and nothing happened. But when it was Elijah's turn, what did he do? He said two sentences. He says, Lord, let these people know that I have done something according to your word. Send fire from heaven and consume the bull on the altar. And evidently, those two sentences were all it took because all of a sudden, fire came down. Bam. And uh, you can read all about that cool story, Second Kings 18. But yet the story goes on because when Elijah prayed for rain, it took him seven seasons of intense prayer before even a cloud appeared. So it's kind of amazing. You would think that praying for something like rain that you know normally happens. Okay, we had rain. Do you have any rain on the mountain today? Yeah, we had some good lightning and thunder just down in the valley. But you would think that something as that would happens normally would require less intensity than praying for fire from heaven, right? But, uh, you know, the fire only required a two-sentence prayer and the rain required repeated intense prayer. So don't stop. Don't give up. I think sometimes it takes only a little bit of prayer to tip the bowl and other times God wants to teach us how to stay connected to him and how to persevere through difficulty, how to stretch our faith. I think that's, that's why... He doesn't answer our prayers uh, immediately. All right, so let's review. He says, so God puts our memories in a bowl, our memories in a book. He puts our tears in a, in a bottle, and he puts our prayers in bowls. Now, all of these containers are very cool, but it's nothing compares to what he puts in clay pots. All right, what he puts in clay pots, pretty amazing. Go to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll read 4 through 12. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 12. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So think about it. God puts this unbelievable, inconceivable, unthinkable, unimaginable, treasure of the universe, the very presence of the almighty God of the universe, he puts that in us. Okay? You'd think that that would make us expensive containers, you know, because precious contents go into valuable containers. But that's not the way God is. That would make perfect human sense. But no, 
God puts the Holy Spirit in us. He places this most precious treasure in jars of clay. That's us. And why does he do that? Well, I believe that it's so that others will see and experience the treasures of Christ rather than being so impressed with us. Right? People are attracted to human beings who handle difficulty so differently. When we can trust God and rely on the Holy Spirit, we react differently to when things happen to us. And that is very, very attractive to people who don't have the Lord. Okay? So when things happen to us, how we react is so vital. What happens when cray parts get jostled around, when they get bumped, when we get passed from one person to another or even cracked? Well, the content spills out. What's the contents? The Holy Spirit. Or in the Apostle Paul's word, what happens when a fragile human who is filled with Christ is hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, faces death, that person spills out the presence of Christ. So when things happen to us and we get jostled, we spill the presence of Christ. My prayer is that Jesus was spilled last week during my accident. How I dealt with that and how I'm dealing with those things, my prayer is that people who don't know the Lord would say, how do you do that? And I would say, well, I can't do it on my own. Okay, I trust the Lord. I know all things work together for good. I don't know why I got in a car crash. Right? Dan says, you know, if he hadn't run into you, he would have gone over to the side. Okay? He would have done evil Knievel right into the canyon. But yet, you know, it, it, it's hard to, to think like that. But my prayer is that Jesus was spilled last week. So what happens if we're not jostled? Well, then the treasure just sits there. Right? It doesn't get spilled. It doesn't get shared. Um, the jostling in our lives is not because God has abandoned us at all. It's because he believes in us, and as his treasure holders, we spill his presence. So when things happen, we spill his presence. Problem is that sometimes we often whine when we're jostled. I, I never whine when I'm jostled, okay? Uh, yeah, I do. And spilling out stuff that doesn't look, smell, or taste anything like Jesus. Right? So... When, you know, sometimes it's like we've forgotten or we've uh, just not been in the practice of spilling Jesus when, when we're cracked. So rather than cracked and leak in a treasure that attracts people to heaven, we simply become crackpots, right? Uh, that's the way it comes across, right? So to the people who feared God in Malachi's day and to, and to us today, it's like God says, I'm listening. I remember your conversations. I'm gathering up your tears. I feel your hearts and I wipe away every tear. But presently, it's important that you go through these difficulties because you're being useful for the Father. Your prayers are being stored in bold and at the right time, answers will come. It might be soon or it might take a while because I want to teach you to partner with me. He wants us to be partnering with him. The Lord remembers every tear that we shed, every prayer that we pray, every word that we share about Him. It's all in His book of remembrance. There's only one thing that God doesn't remember. He doesn't remember my sins. He doesn't remember when I blow it. Right? Hebrews 10:16 through 17 reads, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. 
And he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. There's a book of remembrance, a bottle of tears, a bowl of prayers, but God doesn't have a single container to remember the times when we blow it. That's so important to remember. Remember when we started, I said, he doesn't forget anything he desires to remember, and he doesn't remember anything he desires to forget. How does that work? How does, how does that happen? Because the blood of Jesus has washed them away. Psalm 103.12 reads, As far as, as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7.19 says, He will again have compassion, compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Colossians 1.13 reads, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So, Truly, God has actually erased his memory bank, right? He's erased everything concerning our sin. He's not waiting to get back at us for the mistakes that we've made, the sins that we've committed. All right? that, that's not his heart. He loves us too much. He doesn't forget anything he desires to remember and doesn't remember anything he desires to forget. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your selective memory. We thank you for the gift of your Son that through him you see us as sinless, clean, and holy. We pray, Father, that we would never forget what Jesus has done for us and that Jesus would be spilled out into the world through our lives. Thank you for your word that continually reminds us just how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.